Good morning, Joy Church. How are you doing today? Anybody excited to be here in the house of the Lord? What an amazing morning it is to be here worshiping the Lord with you. You guys are excited this morning. You've probably already had your coffee. Anybody had your coffee? I am unashamed a lover of pumpkin spice at Starbucks. You can hate if you like. And I didn't even care that last Tuesday when it came out, it was 106 degrees outside. I was like, when Starbucks says fall has arrived, fall has arrived, right? If you didn't hear, Starbucks is now in charge of the seasons, and they get to tell us when fall has arrived. But we're so happy you're here. We'd love to welcome you. It's a great day to gather in God's house. And if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, we're going to open up to the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. The book of Acts is right after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And we're going to read a few of those verses if you don't know me, my name is Johnny, and I am the youth pastor here at Joy Church Medford. And it's just my honor and privilege to share the word with you this morning. We have been in a series the last four or five weeks, for those of you who have been attending here. And it's called, Why I Love My Church, or just, I Love My Church. And we love the church global. Anybody love the, what God's doing around the world in the church? Um, pastor Jamie, our pastor in La Paz, Mexico, is with us in first service that just about an hour ago, God was working in our church in Mexico. He's working all over the world in churches. So we love the global church, but we also love the local church. We love this body that God has planted us in, in the local church. And there are no perfect churches. And whenever I think about the reason it's not a perfect church, because I'm in it, um, or you're in it, and the church is only perfect when it's empty, right? There are no perfect churches, but at Joy Church, our heart is to say, Lord, we want to be as biblical as possible. We might not be a perfect church because all of us bring our own issues into the church. All of us bring our own problems. Um, and that's what the church exists for, as people who need Jesus, people who need help. But the last four or five weeks, if you're just joining us on this journey of why I love my church, we've been taking four or five weeks to look at the church in the book of Acts. So after Jesus died, he rose again. He began to establish his gathering of people. In Matthew 18, he says, I will build my church. And he started that right after he died. And it might seem like a wild thought to you, but we're actually a part of that same church that Jesus began building 2,000 years ago. I think that's pretty incredible. And so the very best example, the best template that we have to build off of is the early church in the New Testament. They were the first church that was the closest to how Jesus wanted the church to look. Were they perfect? No. Just go read 1 Corinthians. They weren't perfect, but they were the best example that we have in the Bible of how God wants us to do this thing that we call church. You ever tried to do a puzzle without the main picture? Um, it's pretty difficult, right? I, I am sorry if this offends you. I am not a puzzle lover. Puzzles drive me mad because you spend so many hours trying to get these pieces together. And at the end of it, you're like, wow, it's a cottage in North Dakota. Like, that's amazing. Um, but at the end of it, you go, yay. And then you tear it apart. But I, the thing I love about puzzles, you have a template. And you go, okay, this is what we're building. So I know what to build off. And we're going to read these scriptures in Acts chapter 2. And this is our template as believers for how the church is meant to function, for how the church is meant to look like. And at Joy Church, week in and week out, we do our best to say, Lord, how can we look at the church as it is in the Bible? And how can we be that kind of church? So if you have your Bible, and if you don't, you can read along with us. We're going to read in Acts chapter 2. You ready, church? says this, and they, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so to the word of God, to the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And here's where it gets really, really good. That was good already. And day by day, attending the temple together, they were doing what we're doing, gathering together to worship the Lord and breaking bread in their homes. That's what we call connect groups. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And here's what we're going to focus on today. I love this. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that incredible? The Lord was adding day by day those who were being saved. Now, for those of us who've been here the last few weeks, we've been going through a pledge every single week of saying, what do we see here and how do we live it out here? So what we see in the word, how do we live it up, live it out? So can I put this on the screen? This has been our I love my church pledge. And every single week we've been adding something new to it. So I want us to review and go over what we've said. So we're going to say this together. If you call Joy Church your home and you can declare this with all your heart, we say this. You ready? Number one, I will commit to show up, step up, and speak well of my church community. So we saw that in the early church, nobody was on the sidelines. And I love this, that every single person said, God, here's my gifts, here's my talents, here's my whole life. It might be small, it might be big, but Lord, it's yours, and I'll use it, and we want to do the same. You can go back and hear that message from Pastor Steve. Number two, I will be a person of prayer, the word, and worship. So we saw in week two that this church, the early church, were devoted to God's word. They said, Lord, we want to know you as you have revealed yourself to us in the scriptures. They were devoted to prayer. If you read the book of Acts, what you see over and over and over again is they were a praying church. And I love this. They were a worshiping church, honoring the Lord. So if that's how they lived, don't you think that's how we should live? That's how we have this quote or this, what do we call this? This commitment. Number three. I will be a person who is financially generous to God's house and his people. So this again is from Acts chapter 2. We see that when Jesus transformed their lives, they said, Lord, everything that we have is yours. God, nothing do we hold back from you and from your kingdom. And people got pretty radical about this. They started to say, well, I have a field. I can sell it and give it to the kingdom. I have a house. I can sell it and give it to advance the kingdom. And we say, Lord, everything I have is yours. Number four, what we talked about last week. You ready? I don't stand on the sidelines, but participate wholeheartedly with my time and service. So we see this church was generous financially, but they were also generous with their time. And here we come to our topic for today. There's one more week. Next week, you got to come to get the last part of the pledge. But we're going to say this together. Are you ready, church? I joyfully make room for more at my table, sharing my faith, home, and life openly. I joyfully make room for more at the table, sharing my faith, home, and life openly. When we as the church live like God has called us to live, when we do all of these things we've learned in God's word, we're people of prayer, we're people of worship and the word, when we share our lives together, when we say, Lord, I don't hold on to my time, I don't hold on to my resource, I'm all in for your kingdom. The beautiful thing that we see in the Bible 
is that this, when we do these things, we become a church that changes the world. We become a church that changes our city. We see that that scripture in Acts 2 ends with, and the Lord added to their number day by day. Not church transfer, not people that they bust in from another city. Those who are being saved. We see that as the church lived, as the church was meant to live, every single day people were being saved. And I love the book of Acts because as you read it, you begin to see story after story after story of the kingdom of God advancing. I hope they can follow along. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures in Acts. In Acts 2, it says, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Who thinks it would be cool if we had 3,000 people saved in one day? I believe we're going to see it. You know, I'm excited for the day at Joy Church. If, if you're on the dream team, every single week we put testimonies on our dream team board of how many people gave their life to Christ last week and different stats that we track to celebrate what God's doing. I can't wait for the day that it's not 10 people received Christ or 20, but it's 3,000 people received Jesus. We saw in one day, that's how many were added. This is something I pray for our church every single day. I say, Lord, I want at the end of the year more than 365 salvations. Because if that church was adding daily, we at least can add one a day. I pray, whether it's in a small group, whether it's in our personal evangelism, or it's in our services when we win people together, that we're going to see more than one person saved a day. And that's small faith compared to God's faith. His faith is 3,000 all at once. That's like almost 10 years worth of days, day by day salvations. We see in Acts chapter 5, hear this, and more than ever, believers were added to the church, to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So if 3,000 were added in one day, what does more than ever even look like? Like saying, okay, 3,000 was good, but now you won't believe it more than ever. Multitudes. Like you think about as Luke is writing this, he's going, how do I describe what's happening? More than ever, multitudes of people are being added to the Lord. And there are so many examples I could give from the book of Acts. I just chose three. And here's Acts chapter 6. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we see something amazing here. The kingdom of God just kept advancing and advancing. The lost kept being saved and saved. And even in their time, what would probably have been some of the most difficult people to win, which would have been the Jewish priests. He said more than ever, even the priests, even those who are opposing us, even those who wanted Jesus crucified, even they are coming to faith. This church in the book of Acts was a church that existed for the world. And I want to read you a quote that I love. It's from a guy with a really big name um, that I forgot. <laughs> Archbishop William Temple. I wish that was my name. That carries a lot more authority than, hi, I'm John, right? I'm Archbishop William Temple. He said this, the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. That's a radical thought, right? Do you have any memberships or programs that you're a part of? I am a part of the Starbucks loyalty whatever, and that just means I waste too much money on coffee. And I love the benefits, right? Like once a month I get an email, John, your free coffee has arrived. Go turn it in. I'm like, yes, coffee tastes better when it's free, right? 
Maybe you're a part of Netflix and you're just crying because they're taking away all of Disney and you're trying to deal with the fact that no more Disney. Maybe I broke the news to you. You're like, crying. I got to add another, another membership into my life. Right? Memberships are about what I can get. Right? Um, I, I laugh when I fly. You know, you're flying the friendly skies with United and they're promoing their credit card and people are like, oh, no, no, don't get this one. Get the Alaska one. No, no, don't get the Alaska one. Get the Delta one. And people are talking about all the benefits that they receive. That's not bad. We know that most of the time we ask this question, what's in it for me? What can I get? But there's something crazy about the church of Jesus that he says the church really doesn't just exist for those inside its walls. The church exists for those who are outside of its walls. Like we come together as a people to say, yes, the Lord loves us. Yes, the Lord meets our needs. But every single time he says, okay, now don't stay here. Don't stay together. Don't just make it about us. But this thing called church exists for everybody outside those walls. But where do they get this idea? Because if I made this up, don't join the church. Because if I was thinking like, okay, how do we make the church grow? How do we change the world with the church? I'd probably say, let's make it all about us. Let's make it as comfortable as possible. Let's make sure we have the best snacks in the world and we're serving Chick-fil-A at every Sunday morning gathering and whatever. I think, how can we make it better for us? But the early church learned from Jesus that it wasn't really about us, it was about them outside these walls. You think about Jesus. He'd given his life as a sacrifice for us. If you don't know the story, he was beaten and he was tortured, but they didn't really take his life from him. He gave his life for us. And he'd be nailed up on a cross. And even there, he'd look at the people who laughed at him and mocked him and scorned him. And Jesus would say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And Jesus would die on that cross and they'd bury him in a grave. And three days later, the greatest news in all the world is that Jesus would rise from the grave. And he'd he'd be alive or he'd appear for 40 days. And he had this moment where he got his followers together. He goes, there's one last thing I'm going to tell you. If you don't know the story, then you better tune in right here. This is really important. So all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are building up to this moment, his life, his death, his resurrection, and he gets all of his followers together. He goes, boys, I've had some good teaching, right? Remember the Sermon on the Mount? We had some good times together, remember? Multiplying the fish and the loaves. Like, we had some pretty cool miracles. We raised the dead. I walked on water. Peter, you kind of walked on water. You know, you're working on it, buddy. But he says, I have one thing that you have to get. Like, I'm I'm not going to be with you anymore. I'm not going to be on this planet anymore. And I have one thing that you have to remember. Like, you can't miss this. Like, I'm calling you to be a gathering. I'm calling you to be a people. I'm building you into a church. But I have one last command that you really, really, really have to take seriously. You know, a book that transformed my life was called His Last Command, Our First Priority. They changed the name now. It's called One Short Hour. And Jesus says, do you want to know there's one thing I want from you as a church, as my church? And then he uttered these words, what we as Christians call the Great Commission. And he does not say, make life all about us and and protect each other and only do that which is good for us. Jesus breaks that mold and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Mark 16, that they recorded it a bit different. Jesus says, go and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. 
Jesus' command for us as the church, what is our number one responsibility, our job, our mission, our purpose? Jesus said it's not for those inside these walls primarily, but it's to win the world for him. We sum this up by saying we win the lost and we make disciples. Like that's why we exist. If you wonder, what is Joy Church? What are we about? We're about doing what Jesus commanded us to do. We're about being the church that he died to create, but not a church that exists only for those inside the walls, but those outside the walls. You know, we do this in a few different ways. If you've gone through growth track, we say everybody needs to know God. It's, it's a value to us at our church. We feel like it's the most biblical way that we say, man, everyone needs to know God. So every time we gather, we give an opportunity that says, if you do not know Christ, if you have not turned from your sins, we don't want to gather ever without giving people an opportunity to come to know God. We, that's what Jesus commanded us to do. Go, preach the gospel, win the lost. But then nobody was born to live in bondage. Nobody was born to live in brokenness and to live in addiction. So we say, wow, to make disciples, every person has to find freedom. So that's why we have connect groups. You ever wonder what group is about? Group is really just about helping people find freedom and look more like Jesus. That's what discipleship is, right? Um, I know I need help from God and I need help from other believers to help me look more like Jesus. You know, I love in group, I have brothers in my life, and this is true, not like physical brothers, but I do have those too, but spiritual brothers. So there's times I come to group and I sit down and they go, how's it going, Johnny? And I go, fine. And they go, no, we can tell you're lying. How's it going, Johnny? I go, fine. And they go, we know you. You're lying. How's it going? Ah, I'm not okay. I'm a wreck. I'm not doing good right now. Anybody ever been there? Right? In a, in a, a room like this, you can hide. We can act like everything's okay. But if we're going to grow as disciples, we have to do it shoulder to shoulder and eyeball to eyeball, right? Side by side. So we as a church, okay, we want to gather together so people can know God. But we also want to get together in small groups like they did in the Bible so that people can find freedom, so we can make disciples. But part of discipleship is God's given you gifts. God's given every one of us talents. So we say, wow, people have to discover the purpose on their life as a disciple. That's why we have growth track. That's why you're going to hear us talk about growth track every single Sunday. We say, God made you for a reason. God has a purpose on your life. And for you to be a disciple of Jesus, you got to find that. you got to discover it. Why? So that you can make a difference. And that's why at our church, we have something called Dream Team. I'm excited for our summit this weekend. It's going to be amazing if you're coming. But we say, man, to be a real disciple of Jesus, you got to know God. you got to find freedom as a disciple. But it goes beyond that. you got to discover your purpose so that you can make a difference. Amen? Amen? So we as a church are saying, man, we want to do what Jesus called us to do. Jesus commanded that the church that he was building would be a church that was about those who are lost. You know, I think about even, even this moment, there are people outside these walls who are far from Jesus, people who are broken, people who are depressed, people who are anxious, people who are suicidal at this moment. And if we as the church, if it's only about the one hour and 15 minutes that we gather on a Sunday morning, it's really ineffective. It's really inefficient, right? If being the church of Jesus was only about this time together, that means there's like seven, I don't know how many hours are in a week, but there's a lot. And we're only giving one of them to be the church. The beauty of being the church that Jesus created us to be is that in this moment we get encouraged. We worship the Lord. We get, in strength, we get strengthened. But in about third, 20 minutes, you're going to walk out of this room and now you've got seven days to be the church that Jesus desires.
Every single one of us, you're going to go back to your workplace tomorrow morning, or you're going to go back to your college campus, or back to your school. Some of you are going to go back to family members who don't know Jesus, and the church exists so that we can reach them with the good news of Jesus. Amen? We're going to pray, and then we're going to continue to dive in. I know we, we kind of got ahead of ourselves before praying. So Lord, we love you. Jesus, even this moment, I'm so thankful. God, as we worshiped you this morning, I'm so thankful that, God, you love sinners. Lord, you love broken people. That, God, oh, we were still weak at the right time. Jesus, you died for the ungodly. We know that one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good man, one would dare even to die. But, God, you show your love for us. Not while we were still sinners, you died for us, Jesus. And this morning, we're thankful, God. We're thankful for what you've done in our hearts. We're thankful for what you've done in our lives. And we pray that, God, we hear your word this morning. God, and God, that you would change us, that we would not exist just for each other, but God, we'd exist for the world. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down evangelism, the heartbeat of heaven. Evangelism, the heartbeat of heaven. Now, evangelism is just a big Christianese word that means sharing Jesus with people. Telling people about Jesus. Telling people what Jesus has done. And maybe you're new to church, or maybe you're not new to church, but it's very easy for us to make evangelism some little itty-bitty part of the church that kind of sits in the corner and everybody's afraid to touch it. You know what I'm talking about? I was laughing in first service that when I go to Jack in the Box, I'm like, burger, 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 fries, 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 tacos. Like, why in the world are there deep fried tacos at Jack in the Box, right? It just doesn't really make them, I love them, I eat them all the time. Thank God there's a Jack in the Box around the corner and I eat a lot of those deep fried tacos. But it's kind of this random, awkward part of Jack in the Box that nobody knows about, right? Like, why does Jack in the Box serve tacos? That's not how evangelism is meant to be in the church. I think many times we say, well, evangelism is for the extroverts. Or if you like the Enneagram, evangelism is for like the sevens and the ones and the threes maybe, but not for me. I'm a six or a four or a five or a nine or something. If you know Enneagram, you got me. If you don't, sorry. But Jesus says evangelism is for all of us. It's for the whole church. And I pray this morning as we continue to look in God's word from Acts chapter 2 that you would get a bigger picture of why evangelism is so much bigger than one little part of the church. Why? Because it's the heartbeat of heaven. The heart of God, if you're taking notes, kind of point number one is the heart of God is love for the world. If you want to understand God, you know, maybe you're new to church and you don't know much about God. Or maybe you've been in church a long time. If we want to understand God, we have to understand that his heart is love for the whole wide world. You know, the people that we hate, God loves. The people that drive us crazy, God loves. The people that we get it and rant about on Facebook, God loves those people. His heart's big because his heart is love for the whole world. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I remember a moment that changed my life. We were on a missions trip with the church in Puebla, Mexico. And we were on top of this mountain overlooking millions of people. And this pastor said, God's heart is for the whole wide world. And if your heart is any smaller, you don't have God's heart. He says, because God looks at every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, every tongue, and he loves them all. And in that moment, I remember thinking, God, I think my heart's pretty small. Because sometimes I just kind of think about me. Or sometimes I just think about the people close to me. But God's heart is for the whole wide world. And in Jesus' time, many people didn't understand this. 
You know, so many times I'm talking to people that don't know God. They go, Johnny, I could never come to church because I'm a sinner. And I'm like, no, that's why it's a perfect place for you. <laughs> Johnny, if you knew who I was, if you knew what I'd done, if you knew my past, like church is not for me. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand God. Like you're the person God loves the most and he's the most crazy about you and he wants you the most desperately. But people didn't get this in Jesus' time. So Jesus, God himself, God in the flesh, would surround himself with sinful people, with drunks, with prostitutes, with criminals, people who were so far from God, yet God was right in the midst of them, right? And the very religious people would look and say, this isn't right, Jesus. Who is this? You say you're God, but you're not, because you're not with the kind of people God should be around. And I love in Luke 15, I can't get into it. If you want a sneak peek into God's heart, what's it like in there? Go read Luke 15. Jesus says, you don't get God. You don't get the heart of the Father for the world. He says, if you had a hundred sheep, if you were a shepherd, and you lost one of them, and it went far away, he goes, would you let that one sheep wander off and get eaten by a wolf? He goes, of course you wouldn't. You'd leave the 99 and run after the one. And when you got it, you'd put it on your shoulders and you'd run home rejoicing. And he goes, how much more is my heart, is the heart of my father for the world? He goes, if you lost money in your house, you know, I have a problem of losing my keys every single day, multiple times per day. I'm gonna get that app where you can track your keys, right? You ever had that moment, you're ripping your house apart, you're crying, you're desperate, you're on your knees saying, God, just this once, show me mercy, show me where my keys are. That's me every day, okay? Um, Jesus says, we've all done that. You lose money in your house, you're gonna rip it apart, you're gonna sweep it clean. He goes, how much more is God's heart for his sons and daughters who are lost? He says, this is God. Like, you look at sinners and you hate them and you judge them, but that's not God. God loves them. God has compassion for them. Then he finally tells a story that is controversial to them. And it's controversial in our day. A son who dishonors his father and takes everything he has and leaves and he wastes it. And he says, the father doesn't judge him. The father doesn't hate him. So the father waits for his son to come home. And when his son finally comes home, he says, rejoice. My son who is dead is alive again. He who is lost is now found. If you want to understand God, he has this heart that loves the world so desperately and so passionately. So God so loved the world that what? This is the mystery of the Trinity. He sent his only son. So God the Father has this big heart for the world. But then Jesus, God the Son, said my mission is to save the world. If you're taking point number two, Jesus' mission, the mission of Jesus was to save the world. So when Jesus came, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So this is kind of amazing that God has this heart for the world, so he doesn't just stand by passively watching the world. He goes, no, I'm going to send my Son to rescue the world and to save the world. And think about when John the Baptist saw Jesus. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And Jesus would come and empty himself of his glory and be beaten and stripped naked. He'd be nailed on a cross. And he'd say, Father, it's finished. The work you sent me to do is completed. And he breathed his last, last breath on that cross. And he was buried. But we know the story. He rose again in power and in glory. And he ascended to the Father and he's seated at the right hand of God. But for what purpose? for the purpose of saving lost sinners like you and me. I'm thankful that God's heart is so big that he loved me in my sin. I'm thankful that God's heart is so merciful that he sent Jesus when I was still lost. So the heart of God is up for the world. 
the mission of Jesus was to save the world. But then you got to see this, the third person of the Trinity. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bring the gospel to the world. So Jesus said some pretty wild things on this earth. He said, brothers, it's better that I leave because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And in my mind, I think, Lord, no, no, it's not better that you leave. I'd rather have you here with me. I want to know you and to talk to you and be with you. But he says, no, because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, who's the third person of the Trinity, to fill you. And yes, he's going to be your comforter. Yes, he is going to be your guide. He's going to lead you and be with you. But do you know the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit? Why was the Holy Spirit poured on believers? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, and you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus said, I'm going to fill you with my very own spirit. I'm going to fill you with my very own presence so that you can do what I've done. God loves the world, and I died to save the world. And now I'm putting my spirit inside of you so that you can let the world know what I did. Every one of us has fear. Every one of us has insecurity. I can't think of how many moments, you know, maybe I'll think of an embarrassing story to tell you. I remember once I was at the park, and I saw a whole group of people, and I knew the Lord said, Johnny, go share the gospel with them. And I chickened out, so I went to my car. <laughs> Good Christian that I am, right? And I'm sitting there saying, God, why am I so scared? This is stupid. It doesn't make sense. Like, I, I'm in seminary. I know the word. Like, I could preach a sermon in my sleep, but there's fear. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's insecurity, but I sat in my car and I said, God, you sent the Holy Spirit to give me boldness to preach the gospel. And I stood up and I said, I feel fear, but who cares if I feel fear? And as I started to walk, I could feel the Holy Spirit inside of me. And all of a sudden, with every step, I got less afraid. And by the time I reached that group, it was like, you guys got to know about Jesus. He's awesome. And he loves you. And he died so that you could live. Like, that's the purpose for the Spirit, to give you boldness. And that's a really weak example. I was just talking yesterday to some of my friends in Southeast Asia. And they're being persecuted. And churches are being shut down. And people are being killed. And my friend was saying, Johnny, we're afraid because we're being persecuted. But she says, the Holy Spirit's with us. He's giving us confidence. He's giving us courage. He's giving us boldness. I want to encourage you, brother and sister. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you to give you courage and boldness to get the gospel to the world. So if you want to know this God, this triune God, three persons in one, he has a heart for the world. He sent his son to save the world, and he's filled us with his spirit to get the gospel to the world. As the worship team comes up, I want you to see something amazing. Up to this point, it's really cool that we're looking at how amazing God is. That's where it has to start. But I want you to see where you come into this story and where I come into this story. Because what we read in Matthew chapter 28 is for all of us, that the job of the church is to win the world. If you're taking notes, that's point of where the job of the church is to win the world. Like you and I exist in this thing called church so that we can let them know what Jesus has done for them. Like why does a church exist? There are amazing benefits in this church and in all churches, right? But Jesus said, if you miss this, if you miss the fact that the church exists to win the world, you have something but you don't have church anymore. You have an organization, you have a great club of people who love each other, but what you don't have is the church that I died to build. 
Because the church exists, Matthew 28, like I said, go and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, go and preach the gospel to the whole creation. So what's our mission as Joy Church? You know, every week as pastors, as staff, as leaders, and as servants and dream teamers, every week we're praying and we're strategizing, saying, God, how can we reach the lost? God, how can we reach the broken? God, how can we help make disciples of those who are growing in their faith? That's why we exist. We do a lot of fun things. We do camps and we do conferences and we do small groups and services and worship nights and all that stuff. But all of that, you have to see it exists for one purpose, to win the lost and to make disciples, to see people who are far away from God come to know God, to see people who are broken come to find healing, to see people who are headed on eternity to hell, separated from God, come to know Jesus who died so they could live. It's our mission as a church. Like, I hope you get some swag in your step, right? That if you could have a mission statement, like, what's my role in this place called church? What's my job? It's to help people who are far from God come to know Him. We do that in a variety of ways as we serve on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night. But the church exists to win the world. But here's where it gets personal, into your life and into my life. Yes, the global church exists to win the world. And yes, this local church exists to win the world. But the duty of the Christian. That's you and that's me. The duty of the Christian is to share the gospel with the world. So what's your responsibility my responsibility? It's that we individually have a part to play in getting the gospel to the world. On God's team, there's no like last pick. There's no people on the benches or on the sidelines. Every one of us, you and me, are called to take the gospel everywhere we go. You might miss it when you read the book of Acts, but it talks about they were, they were persecuted and they scattered. And it says everywhere they went, they just kept telling this Jesus story. Everywhere they went, they just kept saying, do you know Jesus? Do you know what he did for you? Do you know he died so you could live? Do you know he's Lord? Do you know he's God? I was just reading this morning from my devotions. This, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. What does this look like? You might say, like, I'm not a preacher. I don't know how to preach, and I don't have all the right words. It starts simple. It starts when you go to work, and someone's crying. You go, hey, like, are you having a rough day? Yeah. You know, I've been cussed out more times than you could ever imagine. <laughs> That's okay. It happens, right? Say, hey, I know this might sound crazy to you, but I'm a Christian. I believe in a guy named Jesus who loves you desperately, and he died so you could have life, and I know right now Life looks hopeless. I know right now life looks dark. It looks painful. But there's a God who loves you. Maybe it just looks like you're sharing your story. Hey, can I tell you something crazy? You would never imagine who I was before I knew Jesus. You would never imagine the brokenness. You would never imagine the pain. You would never imagine the addiction. And if he could do it for me, he could do that for you. Like sharing the gospel with the world doesn't look crazy. Don't think, I mean, maybe you will. I'm cool with it. If you want to jump on your table in the middle of work and start preaching the gospel, more power to you. Do it. And some people need to do that kind of thing, right? But it starts wherever you're at. And this is the beauty of the local church. And that there are people in your world that I can never reach. But there are people in my world that you'll probably never reach. Think about the moment that we leave this place. Maybe you're going to go get some good food. There are people all around you that God has placed there that you can reach with the gospel. Think about tomorrow morning, and it's Monday, and you're hating it, so you got that extra big coffee to help you get through. I love Mondays, actually. And I love coffee, so they're a good combination. And tomorrow morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit would stir something in your heart 
that you realize I have a God whose heart is so big it's for the whole world. And my Savior died. His mission was to save the world. I'm filled with the Spirit that's working in all hearts. He's working in all lives so people would come to know the gospel. And I'm a part of a church that exists to win the world. But it's my duty. It's my responsibility. It's the calling on my life to share Jesus with the world. I'd encourage you. You're going to feel fear at times. You're going to feel discouragement. There's, you know, I've had times when I, I just invite someone to church or I tell them about Jesus and I walk away just kicking myself saying, Johnny, that was the worst thing ever. And I've seen those people tell me that day, I got saved after you shared with me. Or I came to church the next day and got saved and I thought that was the worst invitation ever but God used it to change your life. I have, I could write a book a mile long of failed invitations to Jesus. <laughs> awkward, awkward, awkward. I hate awkward. Anybody else? I want to encourage you. You take one little step of faith and you have no idea what God can do. Romans chapter 10 says this. It says, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful promise. God is calling people. And every single person that hears the gospel has an opportunity to believe. And every time we preach, someone's going to believe. And those who believe are going to call on the name of the Lord. And God makes a promise. All who call on my name are going to be saved. That's beautiful, right? There's only one link in this chain that can break down. It's you and me. God says, I'm calling you. And if you would just let the gospel come out of your heart and out of your mouth. Maybe you're a writer. Write it. We need more gospel on Facebook and less negativity. We need more Jesus on Instagram, less selfies maybe. I like selfies too, I'm not judging. But God says, and if people hear, they're going to believe, and everyone who believes is going to call, and I promise, I make you my, I give you my word, every person who calls, I will save. I won't turn anybody away. This is our confidence. But he says, if you will not proclaim, if you won't share it, if you won't talk about it, how are they going to hear? The people at your workplace, how are they going to hear if you don't tell them? Your family members who don't know Christ, how are they going to hear if we don't tell them? I want to encourage us as a church. What would happen if we said, okay, we're gathering together to worship, to be strengthened, to be encouraged. But for the next seven days as we go out of this place, we're going to scatter and spread the gospel. We're going to scatter and spread the good news everywhere we go. Why? Because the need of the hour is laborers for the world. The need of the hour is laborers for the world. Those are big words. The need of the hour is that you would say, God, I'm in. God, I might not be much. God, I might not be eloquent. I might not be a great communicator. I might not be a great speaker. I might be fearful. It doesn't matter. God didn't ask you to be eloquent. He didn't ask you to have it all together. He asked you to share. And the need of the hour, Jesus looked out and he said he saw these crowds and they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Is that a picture of our world today? People are broken. People are depressed. People are committing suicide like you wouldn't believe. And Jesus looks and he says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out laborers. When Jesus looked at the problems of the world, his answer was you and me. You know, I have a bone to pick with God sometimes. I go, Lord, why don't you just write the gospel in the sky? You can do that. Like, why don't you just make everyone's cereal in the morning spell out, I love you from God? 
Like, why don't you just, why don't you do that? And I, I get, I'm not kidding. I go, God, why not? Like, you're God. Like, you could do that. You could just write it in the stars. Like, one night, people are going to be looking for the, the Big Dipper, the Little Dipper, and they go, oh my gosh, a message in the stars that said Jesus died for me. I wish that's how we did it. And I complain. I say, just do that, God. That's a better idea. And he goes, Johnny, no. You're the answer, and you're the answer. You have the greatest news in the world inside your heart and inside your mind. And all it has to do is come out your mouth. Does that make sense? When Jesus looked at the world, he said, the answer is my believers. And how incredible is it that you and I get to co-labor with God, that you get to be God's partner in crime, saying, we're going to go save the world together. He did all the hard work. He did all the heavy lifting. He did all the saving. All you do is tell people. I want to encourage you, church, what would happen what happened if today, if this week, you know, as you leave this place, we're going to give you a little card that just has a slot for three names. What would happen if you just said, Lord, what are three people? I'm not going to give you a limit. You could write down 300 if you want. What if you said, what's one person? What's two people? Who are three people in my world that don't know Jesus? And I could just write down their name. And I could begin to pray for them. And I could begin to ask, Lord, where's an opportunity I could share? You know, as one of our youth students, he was serving this morning. He just graduated growth track. He's loving Jesus. He um, is coming to the dream team retreat. He, he's awesome. He's radical for God. But six months ago, he was just a name on my card of a student who didn't know Jesus. And I were every day praying for that card, saying, God, I won't say his name. I want this guy to know you. God, he doesn't know you. And, I, and we've shared the gospel with him. We've invited him to church. He doesn't know you. And a group of us are praying. And this morning as I'm preaching this, I see him serving. And I go, man, God, it was so worth it. It's worth the awkward. It's worth being a bit uncomfortable. It's worth risking a relationship. Like, what are they going to think of me? It's worth it to see a soul come to know Jesus. Because the local church, why do I love my church? Why do I love the church? Because the local church is the hope of the world. When we live like God's called us to live, when we love like God's called us to love, when we give like God's called us to give, the hope of the world is the local church. You and me, when we gather together to honor the Lord, to worship Him, but when we scatter, we spread the gospel. Amen? I want to share one final story with you. You know, I was thinking this morning, and then we're going to get out of here. I have a lot of stories, and I know many of you do, just of seeing God show up with evangelism. But I want to put one thought in your mind. Why not? Why not try? What if you took a step of faith? What if you took a step of boldness? You took a step of courage to say, God, I might not feel like much, but I'm called by you. I'm filled with your spirit. And I'll take a, a leap of faith to share with somebody, invite somebody. You know, maybe it starts with, hey, I go to Joy Church. You could come with me. And then they come. I had something the other day. I was trying to invite them. I'm like, I don't have a card. Um, the church is by Jack in the Box and Natural Growth Store kind of down the road. And they showed up. I was like, how would you even find this place with my bad directions? But I remember about two or two and a half years ago, I was sitting in a donut shop, really holy, right? No, we actually have a Bible study, eating donuts. Praise the Lord. Donut country, here's a tip. Best donuts in the whole world. Love them. And we're just sitting there having a Bible study and we're eating donuts. And I saw a whole group of, like, I'm a youth pastor. So we're doing a youth Bible study. And I saw a whole group of, like, seventh graders. And out of the pack of craziness, I just saw one. And the Lord said, go talk to him. I'm like, God, that's weird. God, that's creepy. Um, I don't know him. He doesn't know me. The Lord said, go talk to him. I said, okay. Better to, to be obedient than do what I think is right. So I stood up. 
I walked over and said, hey, like our church is, ha- our youth group's having a party, like tonight, I think. And you're invited. If you're interested, I'd love to have you come to church. I don't know if you know God or not, whatever. And the person's like, okay, yeah, I'll come. Yeah, okay, cool. I was like, well, here's my number. Do I want to pick you up? Yeah, come pick me up. I'm like, okay, this worked out better than I thought. That was easy, right? So that person would come, and within a week or two weeks, they would give their life to Jesus, and Jesus would change their life. And there's a whole long story, but I can't share all of it. And I thought, wow, that was awesome. Like, God asked me to invite this person in a donut shop so they could come to know Jesus. And I have their permission to share this. Well, a week later, this young student, 12 years old, gets taken into foster care. And I thought, wow, that's the reason the Lord put it on my heart to talk to them then, because they were bouncing from house to house to house, going to... South Medford, and then going to Eagle Point, and then going to Central Point, and I thought, okay, so the only stability this student had in their life was us, the church. And every week or a couple weeks, I get a call, hey, I'm at this place, could you come pick me up? Yeah, no problem. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. This was the whole point of this story, what God was doing. He put me in this student's life so they could know Jesus and be connected to the church. And as time just kept going, one day, our long story short, our family would get the call, hey, this student needs more than a church family, they need a family family. Would you consider taking this student in to to be with you forever? And I'm like, I'm all in, but I'm only 22, so I can't really take in a junior hire. And my parents prayed, and our family took in this student for the rest of their life. And I think about that moment, and my literal brother was from one moment of courage. My brother that now is 15, that will be with us forever. I think back and I say, God, what if I didn't? What if I would let fear hold me back from sharing? I think about my brother that loves Jesus. He's wild and crazy and passionate for God. But I think about what if I would let fear hold me back? What if I would let people are going to think I'm a creeper in a donut shop? Let them think what they think. <laughs> and sometimes when I feel that little voice in my heart, the Holy Spirit, say, Johnny, go share. I have so many stories from this week, I won't share them. I say, what if I wouldn't talk to my little brother, who I didn't know was my little brother, who was a stranger in a donut shop? What about you? You've been called. You've been filled with the Spirit. What if? Amen? Could you close your eyes as we close in prayer? You know, Jesus loves you so much. And it's no coincidence that you're in this place today. And I just believe that some of you in this place, maybe you said, Johnny, I don't even know this Jesus. Or maybe, Johnny, I've walked away from God. I'm far from Him. I want to give you an opportunity. You are so loved. You are so loved. You know, God proved his love for us, not just in words, but it says while you were your most broken, while you were farthest away from God, God showed his love for you by sending Jesus to die on a cross from you, for you, to take all your guilt, all the bad things you've ever done, all of your sin on himself. And when he died, he paid the price for your sin, but Jesus rose again. Muhammad is in a tomb. Buddha's in a tomb. I've seen it. I've been there. He's dead. But Jesus Christ is not in a tomb because death could not hold him. He lives. He's alive. And because he's the living God, he's the only God who can save us from our sins. And the Bible says if you will just call on him, he'll save you. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to deserve it. It's free grace. It's a free gift to you. And this morning, if you say, Johnny, I just want Jesus to save me. I want to turn from my sin and trust in him. Would you lift your hand and we're going to pray together with every eye closed. In this place, if you're here, amen, I see those hands. Praise God. Praise God. I see those hands. Come on. That's incredible. People are coming to know Jesus. The Bible says if we call on his name, he'll save us. And this morning, can we just give a shout of praise that people are finding hope in Jesus? We're going to pray a prayer all together. 
so nobody's going to be embarrassed. We're going to pray it with you. And as you put your faith in Jesus this morning, if you put your faith in Him, He will not disappoint you. He will save you for eternity. Amen. Can we say this? Jesus, thank you that you died so I could live. Thank you that you shed your blood to wash me and to cleanse me from all my sins. I confess that you're my Lord and you're my God. And I believe that you rose from the grave and you're alive. Save me now. I give you my life. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, can we just give the Lord a shout this morning?